Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Why are ear cultures controversial in veterinary dermatology? It has been a pretty hot topic the last few years because there's lots of different opinions on whether you should rely on an ear culture or not. So I just want to go over some of the thoughts behind why to or not to ear culture. And, you know, I will just admit I am a middle of the rotor. (laughs) So I think there are some indications for it. We're also seeing other tests that are becoming more available like PCR, things like that. So, you know, I'm going to also be looking into other ways to test these ears besides culture in the future, as we're kind of getting more and more companies out there. But looking at the historical culture and sensitivity, I just want to take some time to really go over some of the thoughts and newer developments and ideas with that. So if you look in the literature, like the older literature about ear culture, say 10, 15 years ago, when would it suggest to perform an ear culture? One, if there is a mixed infection, so there's a bunch of cocci and rods that are there. If there is separative inflammation with just some bacteria, maybe you just have a resistant bacteria that the body's really reacting to and responding to, that is problematic as far as treatment goes. Otitis media. So if you have otitis media, most of the time we are going to suggest doing systemic therapy because we want to treat them for an extended amount of time and topical therapy is really going to struggle to get all the way down to the bulla and coat it and get rid of that infection. Plus you're hoping that the tympanum is going to grow back in that time period as well, which will prevent your topical from getting down there. Failure to respond to previous therapy. They're not responding, even though you've tried different ways of treating that ear. And then one of my favorites, a bunch of rods, which is historically what I have done with the ears. If there's a bunch of rods, I'm just going to go ahead and culture it. Some of my kind of updated thoughts. So for me, obviously, if there's otitis media, then we're going to rely on culture. And I think for most dermatologists, we can mostly agree on that, that if there's otitis media, we're going to do, say, a video otoscopy, do a myringotomy, collect that material. Most of us are going to send that out. Why? Because we're going to rely on systemic therapy. And that's going to be key when we talk about some of the problems with culture for otitis externa. And then if I have really severe otitis externa, like sometimes I have really severe cases that have deep horizontal canal disease in, or I have limitations on topical options, or I have limitations on what the owner can do topically. And then we might rely on systemic therapy. And then for me, that may provide me some guidance into actually provide, you know, having a culture to tell me what oral to use. Now, when we talk about culture and sensitivity, there's two portions, right? There's the culture, which identifies the bacteria. And this can be really helpful because you can't tell me for sure something under the microscope is pseudomonas, right? It may be a rod, but it could be proteus. It could be something else that's there. So it tells us what it is. So that can be helpful. And that's why some of these other tests can be really helpful too. That might identify that a bit faster, But then there's truly the sensitivity portion of it, which is what a lot of us focus on. And that's going to give susceptibility results. But those breakpoints are assumed based on systemic treatment. So when we have something, say, like a pseudomonas infection, 
and say we run a culture and that culture tells us that the it is pseudomonas. Okay, great. We know. But say the sensitivity shows us that um, the fluoroquinolones, let's just say, for example, are not effective. Well, that is from the systemic MIC. So that's assuming you give something like, you know, marble floxacin orally. They have to swallow it. It has to go down to their stomach. They have to break it up. They have to get it into their bloodstream. And then the bloodstream has to bring it to the ear, right? So you're going to get different concentrations with each of those steps. It's going to dilute down to some degree. That is much different than, say, you put something like an enrofloxacin topical straight in the ear. That is going to be have a much higher concentration compared to that systemic therapy. So that is where there can be some concern with doing cultures, especially when you're specifically talking about topical therapy, because the pharmacokinetics based on that sensitivity are based on tissue levels following standard antibiotic dosing. So if the zone of inhibition is exceeding that breakpoint, it's unlikely that the antimicrobial is going to get a therapeutic concentration in the target tissue, but we're getting such higher concentrations using topical therapy because you are putting it directly into the ear and you're going to have like a thousand times sometimes concentrations of that antimicrobial. So the MIC is not the same thing as when we're talking about using topical therapy. And there's been many studies that have actually looked at, we're going to culture the ear. We're going to use an antibiotic empirically, topically. They use that topical while we're waiting for the culture results. The culture result says, oh, it really shouldn't work based on the resistance panel it gives you. But then those pets will be checked and they're doing great. So again, it's because that topical concentration is getting so much higher. And this is especially true for concentration-dependent antibiotics, right? Because concentration-dependent antibiotics, the higher concentration you're getting is more effective, right? And that's different than the time-dependent antibiotics. Well, think about some of our really resistant, you know, otitis species we deal with. So like pseudomonas. So some of the very typical things that we use in those cases are concentration-dependent antibiotics, right? Aminoglycosides, which would be something like genomycin, which is in Mometamax, fluoroquinolones, enrofloxacin is in Batril Otic. A lot of people compound different Batril products topically. And then we have orbifloxacin, which is in Positex. So those concentration-dependent antibiotics, their efficacy is really proportional to that ratio between the concentration and the MIC. So that's where we have to be a bit cautious in really looking in the use of that for topical therapy, because we are getting such higher concentrations. And that's kind of this back and forth um, that some of us have. I think a lot of us maybe find some value. I mean, if we find value, definitely knowing what the organism is. And I think most of us find value if we are going to treat them systemically. So again, I think otitis media, pretty much all of us, I mean, most of us, I can't speak for all, but most of us will agree upon But relying on it independently just to make topical decisions is where we have to be a bit cautious because we do know we are utilizing more concentration than that MIC is really recognizing. We also have some limitations with culturing. So for example, when we think about these really difficult uh, cases, so let's just say pseudomonas because it's one of the more difficult ones and I'm actually currently writing a lecture as far as pseudomonas goes. So it's fresh on my mind. Uh, but that biofilm it can create, right? We know there's biofilm. Other organisms can create biofilm besides pseudomonas, but pseudomonas is kind of the notorious one for a biofilm. 
And that biofilm really creates issues with culturing as well. A lot of times it, they won't necessarily grow in standard laboratory conditions. The cells have to be released from that surrounding slime. Remember, biofilm is essentially this exopolymer, uh, the slime shield that these bacteria create to protect themselves, to create an environment that is more beneficial for these bacteria, to make it so you get sub-inhibitory concentrations of MIC, but it also makes it more difficult to grow because if you just get a bunch of biofilm rather than the actual planktonic bacteria, your culture is probably going to struggle. And so we have the we have the concern too that for the most part, if you have a lot of biofilm, you might have a hard time culturing, but even if you culture them, there can be some concern as far as the topical therapy guidance we would take from that. So knowing what the organism is helpful, but we have to be really careful about how we're utilizing that as far as topical treatment. So for me, I think most of us agree again, otitis media, because we're going to use systemic therapy, or if you have difficult cases and there's various reasons, most of us try to stick to topical therapy, but if it's a deep horizontal canal disease, if it's not responding to topical therapy, if the pet won't allow topical therapy, if we're having to use topical, you know, um, systemic therapy in conjunction with topical therapy, because it's a difficult case, then I think there can be some guidance that we can utilize for that. But we just want to be careful as far as overall relying on them for topical treatment. So if I now have a case come in and it is just completely rods, but they haven't been on anything at all before, it's not like one that hasn't responded to numerous medications that the primary veterinarian has used, I don't necessarily jump to culture it. You know, I will utilize something empirically, especially if I'm doing it topically, And I will make sure I select an appropriate flush. And we've talked about flushing before, but I want to make sure the owner knows how to flush at home. We flush in the clinic if we, you know, need to help them out. That we're thinking about what types of flushes we're going to use. So if there's a lot of rods, I'm probably using something with Tris EDTA in it, you know, or N-acetylcysteine or both. And so really making sure we're seeing what it is with cytology is first and foremost, And then if it is a infection that hasn't necessarily failed treatment before, you know, we're going to empirically treat a topical. We know that otitis, and especially because a lot of them are due to allergies, those are all get really expensive. So I will try to treat them topically first. If I don't have a reason I need to treat them systemically, like even rod shaped um, in organisms under the microscope, a lot of those can respond really well to topical therapy if you do it correctly, if you're, you know, doing the underlying cause, if you open up the ear canal with something like steroids or cyclosporine, if you need to, of course, there's all the factors that we've talked about before, but I'm not going to just jump to culture because there's a bunch of rods and historically, like, you know, 10 years ago when I first started, I probably would have. Now, if they're not responding, they've tried other treatments, um, it hasn't worked, we are having to reach for systemic, then I will. If I don't, if I'm maybe, I think it's not a pseudomonas because it's not responding to the antibiotics. I traditionally think pseudomonas should respond to, then maybe I will. But you really want to think, why am I doing this? Why am I spending a couple hundred dollars of this client's money on this test? And I am going to not necessarily use it if I'm just going to be focusing on topical therapy, but really saving it for if I'm doing systemic therapy or if it's a VO that we're doing, you know, a myringotomy and middle ear culture, then definitely but we just want to be really thoughtful with any diagnostic test we do to sit here and say, why, you know, if I was the client, would I feel like there's a valid reason to be doing this? 
And so that's just something I want you guys to think about. So that is why we see some controversy in, you know, ear cultures. There's some people that really don't do them often. There's some people that still do them a lot. I think there, you know, there's a place, but we really have to, again, think about the reason that we're doing it for that case. What type of treatment we're using? What has a pet been on historically? Has it worked or not? Why is the ear infection there in the first place? If you have a nasty pseudomonas and you keep treating it and it's due to a mass in the ear, even if you get rid of that infection, it's going to come right back, right? So there's other reasons that otitis can happen besides allergies. So in a nutshell, that's kind of like my thoughts on cultures. Again, we all have very different opinions, but for me, I'm mostly utilizing them if I'm going to turn to some sort of systemic therapy for that case. So hopefully you guys find it that helpful. Again, that's my two cents. We're all a bit different in how we utilize those. But again, if anything, as you form your own opinions, how to manage these germ cases, I just want you to go back to why. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of it? What am I going to change because of this test? And then really make sure it's the right decision for that pet and that client.